welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we are discussing Crisis on Infinite Earths, parts four and five. David, I think you have an announcement before we start off. I just wanted to accept a correction that I got on the Incomparable Slack channel. John Parkinson correctly stated that Earth-75 was a reference to the comic issue 75, where Superman is killed by Doomsday, where there's a very similar scene of Lois holding Superman. That is clearly the homage they're doing. But I will go back and say my joke about the 1975 Superman musical is way funnier. (laughs) So I think it was worth it. I think so. (laughs) This is a multiverse. They both can be true. Absolutely. All right. So jumping forward in time to, uh, as we record it, this week's episodes. Part four recap. 10,000 years ago, Mar Novo went back to the dawn of time, broke into the antimatter universe, and met, created... I don't know. The Anti-Monitor. The Paragons are sad and stuck in the Vanishing Point until Oliver arrives as the Spectre to give Barry the power to break out. While Ryan, Supergirl, and Lex try to stop Mar Novo from ever going back in time, the other Paragons and Oliver are lost in the Speed Force to relive big CW scenes. Both plot digressions accomplish nothing. The Paragons give a Care Bear stare to help Oliver fight the Anti-Monitor and reboot a new CW universe. But Oliver dies again. Right, and although there's some resistance to the idea that he's really dead, I think... Oliver as a separate entity probably is gone, and we may get to see Spectre at some point in the future. But anyway, so a fair amount happened in this episode, and there was a lot of jumping. Did any of it matter, though? That's kind of where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of jumping around, and not terribly coherent, but... Some things did happen that I guess we do need to discuss. Just in the original or the starting Monitor prologue, where we see the Monitor going back in time before he was the Monitor, the thing that's strange here really is the Monitor sees the Anti-Monitor, and I don't really know, it's not clear where the Anti-Monitor comes from. I mean, he looks like a mirrored version of the Monitor, but what does that mean? As a origin story for the Anti-Monitor, this is very weak and kind of perfunctory. Uh, But what I really want to know is, why does the Monitor know that he's doomed everyone just because he's seen this? I think he said when he was in the dawn of time and it was green and it started turning red and black, uh, he was afraid that his presence there had corrupted things somehow. Which it did. (laughs) You can't observe without changing things, right? (laughs) That is very much the story of the Dawn of Time. The comic also goes into that heavily, that merely the act of observing it seems to be something that causes problems, and the Monitor really does go for it, even though the backstory is very different than in the comics, which we can discuss later. Uh, Let's just take on the sad vanishing point where everyone is sad, and Ryan gives a nice sad voiceover. I have many questions as to really why Ryan is in this, but he does give some amazing lines in this episode. He has some good lines, but functionally, I mean, I don't think he actually does a whole lot in the fight against the Wraiths, and as he is the paragon of humanity, this once again bothers me about where is the paragon of the Martians and however many other million races there are 
or were in the multiverse, and why don't they get paragons? There is no comparable thing in the comics. There is no paragon. This this is all part of the CW's view of the story. And Ryan does do two things in these two episodes. He had a good idea. <laughs> he had a good idea in one, and here he gives a convincing argument. That is a weak use, I would argue, for the character, even though I do like the character. He is an interesting character, but it just seems strange that they really needed that Care Bear humanity stare from him to, to really hold it together. So the Care Bear stare, <laughs> um, that actually reminded me a lot of uh, Legends of Tomorrow thing where they all had to f concentrate on something to be able to fight together and they ended up thinking about Bebo and so <laughs> then part five made me laugh a lot <laughs> I'm sure it did <laughs> there's lots of funny material in there the one line from Ryan I truly enjoyed was there's a lot of ways to describe Lex Luthor but I find douchebag is the most descriptive <laughs> Yeah. Why does Lex Luthor need to be in any of this? And it's pretty strange. Uh, I think effectively Lex Luthor needs to be here for entirely doyalist reasons because Lex needs to be one of the paragons because maybe it's the self-identifying view of the multiverse from each paragon that builds up the new universe. But that's the only good reason why Lex is being carted around for any of this. And they have him stuck in the vanishing point, and they should have just left him there in the vanishing point. <laughs> well, he does have a really strong will, and maybe that helped in the Care Bears here. I, it might have helped. It, it almost certainly put him in control of the DEO. Right. It was interesting how things ended up there. A lot of things were interesting, but we'll get to part five later. Let's see. Another thing about the whole situation is when they were sitting around being depressed and finally Barry showed up and said he couldn't get out. And the monitor just touched his forehead and says that he had unlocked Barry's potential. Spectre. Sorry, Spectre did. And I was wondering, we didn't see an energy spark or anything. So I was just kind of wondering, is this like Dumbo's feather? And he's just telling Barry, okay, now you can do it. <laughs> well, he does trust him with every cell of his body, as he said, I think, multiple times. So it could just be that. But yeah. I actually kind of like the low-key, hey, I did my thing. Believe me. <laughs> like, that's it. It's arbitrary, but it, it does kind of work. And it is an interesting position where they are stuck there. They need a way out. A ghost has to come back from purgatory to rescue them. It holds together all right, except for taking Lex. But shall we move on to Maltus? Sure. I had to look up Maltus because I was a little confused regarding the backstories in the show versus the backstories in the comic. But Maltus is actually the origin of the race of the Guardians who ended up moving to Oa and ending up starting the Green Lantern Corps. Oh, I hadn't realized that. It actually does fit a little bit into some things in the comic that are kind of dropped in the backstory for the CW Arrowverse version of Crisis. But, I, but it was an interesting choice of name, even if nothing else really makes any sense. I liked that we found out that the Monitor's power suit was not his idea. <laughs> <laughs> And he himself thinks he looks ridiculous in it. <laughs> it is interesting seeing the monitor being a, a little more on the carefree side than the super stoic version that we're stuck with 
for the earlier parts. Uh, that was that was a kind of nice, even if he didn't get that much more personable. Yeah, it was like a little flashback to uh, when the Silver Surfer was just a normal guy. Although that's the wrong comics continuity. Sorry. <laughs> This scene in the forest does also give us some more great lines by Ryan. The best lantern being, why doesn't this alien forest look more alien? (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's just the idea of a forest or something. Maybe it's being translated into terms that human forms would understand. I think that's just a bit of color shifting, and that's what BC forests look like. (laughs) Ryan, as the paragon of humanity, works very well as a viewer surrogate, and he is saying what we might be saying. And I think that's really what they're using him for. Ryan gives the great line later on saying about Lex Luthor, he really is a selfish asshat. (laughs) And while I think I do kind of like Ryan's argument with the monitor that why he should not go back in time. The line, trillions of other people's lives in infinite number. I just don't understand that math. (laughs) I suppose it's an infinite universes of trillions per universe, but that's just weird math. Yes. Yes, it is. This is the thing where Ryan does one of his two good things, which is he does stop this monitor from going back in time with a good argument. He can talk to scientists, and and that was Ryan's superpower in this episode. Right, but then just a little later, what is it that the anti-monitor says? There will always be men with towering ambitions, and so basically it doesn't matter if you talk one guy out of doing something that's going to wreck time. Somebody else is just going to come along and do something else that'll wreck the multiverse. While I have issues with part four, because it really doesn't do very much, it sets up one big fight. You could literally go right from them leaving the vanishing point to them showing up in the dawn of time to fight the anti-monitor, and it would have worked just as well, which is kind of sad. But I did like this one bit. There are generally in shows two types of time travel. You get time travel where everything is a paradox and therefore things just can't happen. And you have time travel where it's a multiverse. And every time you go through time, you're creating additional multiverses and therefore there is no such thing as paradox. And I actually like that the writers for this show just went and said, oh, wait a second, you thought we were doing a bootstrap paradox, but no, this is a multiverse. You're screwed. (laughs) There are an infinite number of Mar Novus going to travel in time. You, as individuals, cannot go to all of them, so it's going to happen. There is no way to stop it. Because you have these sort of single-set people going through a multiverse. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really liked that, even if none of this really matters. Yeah, but you're right. It's a good point. A similar thing happens in the comics, going backwards in time to try and stop it, and it also accomplishes nothing. So they're being consistent, too. What I was less impressed with, though, is this journey through the Speed Force. There were a couple of moments that I liked in it when they were doing their scavenger hunt of picking up people from the their scenes that they were having with other people who weren't real. I liked when Kate Kane just happened to be listening to Ray Palmer and Oliver having a conversation, and they just stopped and say, who are you? <laughs> but later on, uh, Kate is, is explaining to past Oliver that he is going to learn to trust people, and she says that maybe she can learn from that. And it's kind of convoluted, but I like the idea there. The challenge I have with it is kind of like the same problem I had with Endgame. 
in uh, Marvel Land mm -hmm. where you're doing this big time travel thing and there's this great tendency, especially after Back to the Future Part 2 showed us how to do it, is that you'd sort of go back in on yourself and you get to revisit things that you thought were cool that happened in the past. And I, I just kind of would rather them spend time holding this plot together better than just visiting other times in the past. And and maybe it would have worked better had I followed Arrow more and been more invested in the Canary death. But to me, it, it, it just felt a little strange use of time. Hmm. I was truly not expecting the, is this cosplay? Oh, do you want a selfie bro? lines, which we get when Barry actually meets the DCU version of Flash. That surprised me. <laughs> Yes, that was that was odd. <laughs> I didn't really want to get reminded of these DCU films that I'm never going to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, as cameos go, I much preferred the cameos that we saw in uh, parts one through three. And I don't quite know why, but they did play better. This one felt just so tacked on. It kind of felt like they couldn't work out the schedule for a December cameo, so they stuck them in January. Yeah, it almost does feel that way, that there was some other limitation in play. And it's just the DCU feels so different than almost every one of these other DC shows mm -hmm. that it still feels out of place. That's really pretty much all my thoughts about Part 4. Some confusing stuff happened with a few bright spots and... Then, apparently, willpower of the Paragons was enough to push things over to rebooting the universe. I had some small questions like how Ryan Choi survived that fight, but I don't know. I don't know if I really uh, had strong feelings about the, you have failed this universe. <laughs> but really, this just sort of had to happen. The Spectre has to fight the Monitor, and then instead of the Monitor getting to entirely replace all the universes with his own universe, instead we get at least some of our heroes helping to create the uh, new rebooted universe. It works relatively consistently, and this also is fairly consistent with sort of the middleish part of the original comic, where the Spectre, with the help of all the magic heroes, mm -hmm. they were the ones who were supporting the Spectre mm. to allow the Spectre to create this new DC universe, even though in this case, really, they've only just collapsed the CW universes. Well, I move that we proceed to part five. Here's the recap. Supergirl copes with the new universe where Lex runs the DEO and wins a Nobel Peace Prize. Supergirl and the Flash meet in the same universe. Sarah makes comic arguments for Oliver still being alive, but no one believes her. Sargon the Sorcerer causes a Bebo distraction, but Bebo is off limits. Nash is sorry, but also says that the Anti-Monitor is back. In the big fight, they blow down the Anti-Monitor into the microverse. Uh, we may see him again. <laughs> Finally, we see the Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, Superman, White Canary, Black Lightning, Martian Manhunter, and Apostomus Green Arrow form the Justice League with Gleek somewhere in the hall. <laughs> yeah, um, so there were quite a few fun moments in Part 5. Part 5 is so much better than Part 4. Yes, yeah, yeah. Part 4 was something that we slogged through. <laughs> and Part 5 uh, is where we actually start having fun again. Lex, the guy that everybody loves, except for those people whose memories have been restored. He didn't manage to make himself president. Oh, by the way, did you recognize who the new president was? Because... 
I did not recognize her, but she is also a Smallville actor. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it is Aline Pede. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. Super. Great. Kara <laughs> is wondering at first if the whole thing was just a dream, but luckily Jean Jones shows up and confirms that no, it really happened. It's just that people here don't remember it because this is a whole new world. And uh, Nia says, yay, ceremony, Lex is somebody who actually deserves to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And while he's accepting it, he winks at Kara, so we know he's the same old sleaze. Oh, without a doubt he is. This is bizarre. I was so shocked that they actually made this much change, mostly really to the Supergirl universe. Unless something massive happens to revert all of this, which I don't expect will happen. This is a very big change. Mm -hmm. To the point where Lex Luthor, who everyone is really happy with, including everyone in the DEO, is still basically spouting the same anti-alien human first rhetoric that we just spent an entire season fighting. Yeah. And everyone's happy with him and he's getting a peace prize. We have four seasons of Supergirl and those four seasons just don't exist anymore in this universe. Yeah, I wonder if there are a lot fewer aliens hiding out on Earth in this multiverse or if they're really there along with all the supers that we have. I just don't know, because would he bother with the anti-alien rhetoric from season four if it wasn't still an issue, though? Mm -hmm. We will just have to see what later Supergirl episodes look like, because this is a, a big change for Supergirl. And Kara finds it very frustrating when she then gives the line later, no, 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 that's fine. I need to punch something. <laughs> when she goes to try and take out what turns out to be one of Flash's rogues. Weatherwitch, who recognizes Supergirl and, and is kind of offended that Supergirl doesn't know her name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you don't matter that much. <laughs> I didn't recognize her either, to be fair. So then we have a bunch of people who show up. Utility guys discover Pariah slash Nash Wells unconscious in a tunnel. Sarah shows up in Star City and and hugs Ray. And see, he suddenly says, was there a crossover? Were we invited? Did we win? <laughs> I thought it was interesting, though, because they communicate that they're not doing the same thing that the comic did, because the comic really tried to chop it down to one universe, and they're not even going to try and do that. They've combined the CW universes, but we're ready for future crossovers with who knows what going forward. Well, I guess they won't be multiverse crossovers, but they can still have team-ups. That's the thing, though. They can have a crossover now. It's just we need to build up more CW shows to have crossovers with. Mm -hmm. But clearly, the multiverse is still a known commodity in the new Earth Prime. Right. Well, I assume that there are still lots of alien planets out there, and they said for a fact that Argo was recreated in this uh, universe. So, Legion, um, you know, we could have a lot of things happening. It really depends on what they want to do. Wherever there's money, there is solutions. <laughs> but while we're talking about crossovers and stuff, I really want to say... I'm kind of distressed about the Black Lightning situation because he shows up again in this and he says uh, that, oh, the Martian explained things to me. But what I really urgently want to know is, does his family still exist? He says he's from Freelance, so I guess it still exists in this multiverse, but it is, is it still 
a hillscape of government experimentation and repression? And if so, why isn't he saying, forget these nice snazzy chairs, my town... <laughs> is a hellscape and needs help. Yeah, there's there's a huge question as to what this newly formed Justice League, which he seems to be a part of, even though he only just showed up and has only talked to a couple of them ever. Right. <laughs> I love the character, but I'm having a little cognitive dissonance here as to does horrible dystopic Freeland still exist in this universe? And if it doesn't, what happened with his family and everything? I would interpret that the CW Black Lightning show is also like Supergirl been pulled into the rest of the Arrowverse. And we just do not know what that looks like yet. There's just no way to tell. It could be anything. But obviously, it's going to need some type of communication because Jefferson has talked to a lot of really powerful people. And you can't just ignore that in the storyline. Right. If it's the hellscape that it was in the TV show up till now, then he really needs to be urging everybody to rescue his people right now. But if it's been watered down, so it's just, you know, a mildly racist place, like, I don't know, pick a large American town with a racist police force, like Baltimore, let's say. Sorry, Baltimore. That's going to weaken Black Lightning. So I'm glad that he's here. I'm glad that he's in this universe still, but I'm a little bothered that we're just left hanging wondering what's going on with, with Freeland. Because of the multiverse and the reality that that implies with infinite possibilities, they can do anything. They can literally go on with Black Lightning as of last season, as if the crossover never happened, and just continue. And that is not the Jefferson we're seeing here. Because you can have a TV show follow whatever universe they want to do. Oh, I see what you mean. They might do that. But then it's hard to tell if they are. This could be a Jefferson of a different universe, of a different Freeland, mm. than the one that the show is going to be following. Or they'll combine it and we'll see whether there's an outcome, which there should be, if it's in the same universe. Or they're just going to ignore it and it's going to be weak. I hope they pick one of the first two, but I don't know. You'd think they have to communicate it somehow what their intent is, but at the moment it's just very unclear. It's going to be a lot of cognitive dissonance for me if it's two different characters, and here he just makes wry comments every once in a while, like, oh, is that how it is? And meanwhile, in, in the main show, it's, it's still the dystopic hellscape. <laughs> It is a very good question, and I'd just love to know the answer to it, and we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, well, moving on to the rest of the show. <laughs> Sorry, that's a show that, that uh, I, I am passionate about. Plenty of other things did happen in this uh, episode. Yes, John goes around and just forces me his memories into other people's brains. Yeah, that's again another weird ethical situation. I absolutely understand why they did it for show reasons, because they don't want to keep having these moments all through the shows, you know, uh, having to explain things to Alex the next time there's a Supergirl episode and stuff. So I understand for... Uh, Doyleist reasons why it happened. But ethically, how is it cool for Jean to just go forcing memories into people who've never had them? It's even weirder, though, because even for Doyleist reasons, I think the only real reason to do it is because the anti-monitor was going to come back and there was going to be another fight. Hmm. And they didn't want to have to explain it. But if this is the new universe, who cares what happened in the other universe? It doesn't matter now. So why bother filling these people with 
things that didn't ever happen. So it, it seemed just bizarrely Doyleist that he was going around to doing this. And it just seemed strange. And I agree, it had almost the same John walks up to people and just does things in their brains thing, which I would have thought we wouldn't see as much anymore. Yeah. All right. So that's happening. Then we get the uh, what turns out to be a side plot with Bebo, which was still amusing um, and enjoyable. But it turns out that Bebo was just a distraction that a bank robber created to while well, he was, you know, trying to make make a little money. My response to this, other than it just being a big Bebo fan happy moment. I just don't understand a little bit of why part four and part five have so much filler in them. You have all of these episodes to build and construct a plot and story and scenes, and they do some slow scenes in this episode that are really good, but then they throw this in, which is basically just a villain of the week thing. And there are some cute scenes, and it gives a bit of time for all the characters to sort of show up and have a moment in the new universe. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed just such a strange use of what I would consider precious time in the crossover. Well, yeah, I have no idea what went into their decisions as to why make this three parts in December and two parts in January. That's just kind of baffling to me. And I think that a lot of things were compressed in the first three episodes that could have been expanded a little bit. And yeah, I do think there was some uh, filler space in in this one. I think it would have been better since it was two hours on the same night anyway for it to have been a two-hour movie instead of a part four that was confusing and fairly boring, and then a part five that, while not boring, did have some some uh, odd portions in it. But there were, as you say, some nice character moments in here uh, in, in the Bebo diversion. I enjoyed Nick being at the book signing and uh, the lady asking him what she should call him, and he said, you know, Rebecca, the author's name, his pen name is fine. And I also liked Batwoman showing up at the fight and pointing out that Bebo being here, this is unnatural and this doesn't make sense. And that's when they all figure out that it's a distraction. And I also quite like how Supergirl yells out, Kate! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she, for someone who lied for so long and so hard about her identity, especially to Lena, she doesn't seem to have much... um, compunction about letting the cat out of the bag. Uh, There's a a question I have about the ramifications of crisis. And the one thing I don't expect we're going to see is any fallout to the massive amount of information leakage about secret identities that have occurred over the course of crisis. I'm sure that's just going to go under the rug. But wow, does everyone know who everyone is? Yep. In other nice scenes, I really quite like the uh, scene. They give Sarah a chance to give a bunch of very comic booky arguments for why Oliver could be alive. And really, in a comic book story, any one of her arguments could be perfectly sound. <laughs> that's quite true. But then we do see the sort of acceptance phase in her conversation with Barry, and it, it really is a nice scene. Yeah. She explains that, you know, she feels like the last connection to her past self is gone now. And, you know, Barry comforts her a little bit and talks about families, not just who you grew up with. It's the people that you find and you'll keep finding people, basically. But uh, then they get attacked by shadow demons. And uh, that's the end of that conversation. (laughs) Because part four is set up for one big fight and part five is set up for another big fight, which if you think that's boring... (laughs) <laughs> the comic had so many more fights, and the anti came back so many more times. This is really 
tight in comparison. So here is where Ryan Choi helps to justify why he's in the show again, uh, where he has the idea of fighting the monitor by destabilizing him. And then Ray has the idea, you know, that's kind of like a thing I was fighting against when I was doing the miniaturization stuff. And then they have a nice time geeking together. And that was that was fun. I quite like the two lines. Ryan, I like to call it the microverse, Ray. Oh, that's better. Possible trademark issues. But better. I, I kind of preferred Roy's suggestion of just throwing him into the sun and letting the bastard burn. <laughs> but really, the Anti-Monitor has so much of an antimatter universe in him, their statements of how bad that could go might be true. But I think he could come back from the microverse just as easily. Yep. So fighting, fighting, and more fighting. And they win. And the uh, anti-monitor is shrunk. And as you say, there's certainly no reason in the world that he can't come back again in the future. But uh, for now, I guess the shows will go back to their own continuing plot lines. (laughs) I thought it was interesting that we see John now in his... Martian gear, but not in CGI. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting change. But as soon as he started flying, they went and fully CGI'd him again, because maybe that's easier to render than uh, rendering the actor flying. I don't know. It seemed strange. I guess, yeah, they have you know, they have it set up already to do him <laughs> as the CGI. <laughs> <laughs> they just click the button, make fly. I, I expect it's harder than that. So they win, and then you see a TV screen with the president talking and I was interested to see that uh, Diggle and his wife now have a son and a daughter and that was a big thing about you know the time changing before that uh, Diggle I forget he had had a son and then Flash messed with the timeline and Diggle had a daughter or vice versa. I think it was the other way around. The daughter vanished. Now he has both. (laughs) There were a couple things in the fight I thought were a little cute. They give us another head fake. Oh, right, right. With Supergirl getting ready to sacrifice herself because she dies in the comic, and she doesn't have to. (laughs) But the thing I loved the most in this fight was the out-of-focus miniaturized Kal-El scene. (laughs) I thought that was beautifully done. Just this nice red blur because of the focus distance, and it was just, I thought that was beautifully done thing and i don't like lens flare but i'll take blur any day (laughs) yeah yeah that was a fun little touch there i do want to give this fight also one big bit of credit that it does so much better than the fight in the new universe that happened in the comic the comic makes this bizarre decision that a whole pile of people are returned to the new earth that don't actually have a place in the new earth they're not remembered they have a duplicate no one knows who they are all of these things where they they are then going around being kind of lost Mm -hmm. because they don't seem to fit in. And then these are all of the people who get killed in the fight in that earth. And it's just so pat and so weak Mm. that they basically have all of these people being sort of dead men walking, waiting to get killed during the last fight. And so many people die in the comic. I mean, lots of people die in the show too, but so many people fall in the comic. And it just, it annoyed me to no end that they basically brought these people back just for the sake of killing them off a different way. Yeah. And I was so happier that the show did not bother with that and that they gave a place for all the Paragons to show up in in the New Earth. And it's 
so much better than the comic in that way. Yep. One thing that surprised me a bit, though, was, was it suggested that Superman didn't know he had twins? Yes. What's with that? Well, I guess in this version of the uh, universe, he he has twins now, whereas uh, before, he and Lana just had a son, Jonathan. But this Superman is of this Earth. He is of this new universe. Right. Oh, because he... He's not a paragon. That's right, because he died in the uh, in the other... Yeah, right. You're right. Something just did not fit there. I didn't know what huh. they were trying to do. I was really confused. Was there like a version of the script where Superman was a paragon, and then this is a joke from that, and they left it in? Like, something there just did not quite make sense to me. Huh. Well, I don't know. I'm... Yeah, I had... Uh, conflated things in my head and I thought it was just a a memory effect of him being on this new earth but you're right this is Superman Prime (laughs) yeah exactly this is Earth Prime Superman so I don't know that that one seems strange maybe they also wanted another scene of those two because they want to help the spinoff right hey remember Lois (laughs) you'll be seeing her again they needed that scene but yeah the, the writing there I did not understand maybe I'll look it up and see if anyone else has an explanation as to that But they do then introduce us to the new multiverse that they care about, which is Earth 2 with the new Stargirl show. Earth 12, which is Green Lantern, which I have no idea why they're pushing Green Lantern. (laughs) The one thing the comic does so much better is produce an interesting backstory where Priya and another guy, Krona, are all different scientists at different points. And the person who sort of caused all of this initially happening was one of the race of the Guardians who create the Green Lantern Corps as a means of trying to fight against the antimatterverse. It was an interesting backstory to read, and of course it all just got mushed, maybe for simplification reasons, in this show. But we also do get Earth-19 Swamp Thing, which has already been (laughs) cancelled, Earth-9 Titans, which is ongoing, Earth-21 Doom Patrol. I don't know, are we getting another season of Doom Patrol? I I don't know. And just to be nice, they do give us a moment of Earth-96 Superman the Movie. (laughs) Yes, and we got the nice heroic music. Which was really nice. Right. And then after that, we had the meeting, which I've already talked about from the Black Lightning perspective uh, in the old Star Labs building that will apparently now be the Justice League or whatever they're calling it. I don't think they actually named it in the episode. They didn't name it. Historically, it's been Justice League in Earth 1 and Justice Society in Earth 2, but (laughs) who knows about Earth Prime? So I think we'll just have to wait and see. And maybe in future crossovers are just going to be big world-destroying things that just requires the Justice League to get involved. But it was pretty funny. And they even do, when they give us the scene of Gleek's Cage, a bit of the music from the theme from the Super Friends show. (laughs) That was pretty great. It it was, actually. Although I preferred the Wonder Twins. but (laughs) I think it's the Wonder Twins that had Gleek, so you never know what exactly version we're going to get. Okay, well, (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait and see. All right. Well, we've been talking a little bit about uh, future speculations, but is there anything else that you wanted to address? Well, we really don't see what the state of Lena is. Uh. Um, That's been a massive, massive issue in Supergirl with the state of the Lena Demption and that arc. Mm -hmm. And now we have no idea what that looks like because the Supergirl universe is so changed. Lex is now a good guy and in charge of the DEO, but not probably not really a good guy. Right. Right, and he and Lena have apparently been working together to defend Supergirl. So, yeah, the the Lena in this world, we don't know yet 
if she even knows Supergirl's secret identity. If they entirely avoid Lena Demption just by wiping the universe, that'll be a little sad. Yes. I would have liked to have actually seen Lena get control of the manipulations that Lex keeps throwing on her. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I just don't know. So we'll have to see. Um, the new episode will be coming up quite soon. Yes. Probably before our podcast gets out. Right. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see what that looks like. Yep. A lot of things, no doubt, will be changed. Well, they already are changed. Uh, and now we'll slowly or not so slowly start finding out what some of these changes are going to be and how they are going to affect the emotional arcs and the plot arcs going forward. I mean, there's still the world destroyers, uh, Leviathan stuff, maybe, <laughs> going on, unless that's been wiped out too. We just don't know. I would assume Leviathan's going to continue, but it's always possible that they just wrote all of this and then they just said, okay, clean slate, new Supergirl show. <laughs> <laughs> None of it matters. I mean, effectively, that's what they've done to the universe. So they have a huge amount of freedom. This is effectively a soft reboot of the TV shows. Of all of them, yeah. But it certainly could affect uh, Supergirl the most, and it could also affect Black Lightning a lot. Mm -hmm. But these are soft reboots, and they, as a production, they've basically written their way so they can do whatever they want. And uh, we just need to see what that actually looks like. I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Oh, me too, me too. Okay, well, this has been a fun conversation. Uh, if you, the listeners, want to join in on the conversation, uh, we are on Twitter at SG Supercast. And if you are a member of The Incomparable, then you can join us on the Slack channel. We hang out on the TV sub channel and on some of the other channels too. But uh, we'd love to hear from you about what you think and The Incomparable for hosting us. And as always, you, the listeners. Talk to you later. Bye bye.